Hey guys, welcome back to the College Age Movement Podcast. Uh, if you haven't listened in before, my name is Evan, and I get the privilege of being the College Age Pastor here at Faith Chapel and College Age Movement. We've been kind of on a hiatus. We've been at camp with our high schoolers and our junior hires all summer, and we have, we've have we had guest speakers, and it's been incredible, uh, but we haven't had a ton of chances to put it up on the podcast. If we do get that content, we will make sure to put it on the podcast. But this week, uh, we're wrapping up our series, Kings and Covenants. What we've been doing is we've been walking through the book of 1 Samuel, and there's four Four main characters in the book of 1 Samuel. We have Hannah, we have Saul, Saul, Samuel, and then this week we are going to be talking about David. And uh, we're really excited about what uh, we're going to be talking about this week because it's a story that so many of us have heard. Um, But I don't know about you, but the story of David and Goliath has been a story that I paid a lot of attention to as a kid because it was really cool and there was blood and there was battle and it was all those things. But as I got older, it became kind of this monotonous thing where you hear about David and Goliath. It became so commonplace uh, that it's actually worked its way into common day vernacular. You don't even have to be talking about scripture. You don't even be talking about anything. That David and Goliath has become this term that we use in everyday society as an underdog story. So we talk about David and Goliath all the time, and so it's so easy for us to skim it over because you're like, yeah, I've heard that story before. I know what happened. The lessons to be learned in that have already be, been learned, and, and that I was super guilty of that too. But as I dove in and I looked at Scripture, I just thought it was really refreshing to read this story again and to look at a couple different things that maybe uh, I hadn't heard before, maybe I hadn't really thought of before, and I hope that that's the case for you too. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. This entire story happens throughout uh, chapter 17. We're going to be walking over a lot of scripture. Uh, so it's going to be kind of rapid fire. So forgive me for that. But there's a lot of things that, that I just wanted to point out uh, as, as we walk through the scripture. So we're going to be starting 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkot in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes and Damum between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Allah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Now, these verses are really important because it sets the stage for why the single combat fight comes to fruition in the first place. Strategically, it makes sense to set up on the top of a valley. The enemy would have to go into the valley and become vulnerable to face the enemy. They would lose their high ground. They would lose um, their advantage in battle. See, the top of the valley was comfortable. The top of the valley was safe. They were waiting for things to come to them. The first point that I want to talk about today is this, is that progress doesn't happen in comfort. Progress doesn't happen in comfort. (coughs) Excuse me. What we will see as we continue to walk through the story is that the armies sit in a stalemate for 40 days, staring at each other like a bunch of psychopaths. And they, they just sit there and they stare and Goliath comes out and he makes his challenge every single day for 40 days. You see, neither side wanted to lose their advantage. They, they liked where they were at. Where they were at was that comfort. It was a place that they, if they got to decide where they wanted to be during a battle, that's where they would decide to be. But so often in our lives, we find ourselves doing something very similar. That we would look at our lives and we would point at something and say, well, that's the comfortable place. That's the place that, uh, that I feel is advantageous to my situation. I don't want to be there. But once we get there, then we stay there and then progress ceases to happen. See, when did Jesus call us to comfort? The answer to that question would be never. There's never a part in Scripture where, whereas we're walking through and we're studying and we're looking at Jesus never calls us to comfort. 
In fact, Jesus calls us into uncomfortable situations. He calls us into uncomfortable relationships. He calls us into uncomfortable circumstances so that we can transform them into something new for his glory. So when you think about the relationships and the ones that you don't really want to deal with because they're kind of awkward and and conversation doesn't come easy, but God calls us into those things because he knows that that person, or maybe you're that person, you need that relationship, that that's going to be a vital part of your story. And what we need to do is, as followers of Jesus is, is in, interject ourselves into uncomfortable situations, into things that, that might not be advantageous to ourselves, but because we know that God can be glorified in them, that we need to, to place ourselves in them in a, on a regular basis, that we would be people who are willing to step into uncomfortable situations or circumstances, and we say, no, like I know God wants me to do something significant in this relationship or in this circumstance, and because of that, I'm going to do that, and then we will see incredible progress happen. So let's not be people who sit on a hillside and wait for things to come to us. Let's go get them. The story goes on to say this in verses 4 through 11. It says, This is a champion named Goliath who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. Now, it's really important. We, we can look through this, and we can look at historical documents, and, and oftentimes as a kid, we think that Goliath is like 37 feet tall, and uh, it makes the story really, really fun. But the fact of the matter is that Goliath was probably between six nine and seven feet. Now that's a that's a really tall guy. I'm I'm six three, and so he's half a foot or more taller than me. So that's that's a significantly large person. But we also have to realize is that the average Israeli man was about five four five five, and because of that, and also on top of that, David was a young boy. So he probably hadn't reached the height of his maturity. So we're, we're seeing a significant difference between the height and the, the size of these two people, a polished warrior versus a kid as, as we as we step into the story. So um, that doesn't really change anything of the story, but it's really important for us to understand that this isn't just about a myth. This isn't just about a story. This is a historical thing. This is something that actually happened. Goliath had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs were where he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung across his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you, we will become, you, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day... I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all of the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. You see, challenges will always present themselves in different ways. Challenges will always be presented in different ways. There will undoubtedly be times in our lives where our sin creeps in. It takes us by surprise. The same can be said about trials and tribulations. Sometimes they take us off guard. But sometimes our sin or trials, the hard things of life, they stand out in front of us and they look us straight in the eyes. They dare us to face them. They look at us and boldly ask, come on, let's go. Try to deal with this right now. You see, Goliath represented a trial that nobody was willing to face. Saul and all the men of Israel were terrified. They were terrified of Goliath. And it made sense on a human level Goliath was this imposing warrior, six foot nine, just clad in armor, ripped out of his mind. He, he was a, a known killer, and nobody wanted to go face them. The, these men who were, they were men who were in the army, they were warriors themselves, and nobody wanted to face Goliath. 
But the problem is that fear paralyzed them. See, fear, it can literally and figuratively paralyze us in in every aspect of our lives. And, And when we let fear creep in, it causes us to stay stuck. See, the problem is that the Israelite army, all the men in the Israelite army, they looked at themselves as just that men. They didn't understand that the God that they served was with them in the midst of what the what Goliath, what the giant was was challenging them to do. They just saw large man, warrior, capable. And they saw themselves as regular man, maybe a warrior, but fully incapable. So what we need to understand is that our fear needs to die if we are going to see progress. And our fear dies by us leaning into Jesus and understanding that it's not just about who we are. It's not just about our capacity, but it's about his capacity. See, at some point in our lives, at some point in our journey, our walk with Jesus, our relationships, whatever it may be, we have to find bravery and we have to find like a catalytic injection that pushes us into action. And sometimes we get to do that and sometimes we need other people to do that for us. And what happens in this story is this is where David enters and he becomes the catalytic injection that the army of Israel needed. So we'll continue uh, in the story here. First Samuel chapter 17, verses 12 through 25. I won't read the whole thing. I'll just give you a little Sparks Notes version. It just simply talks about who David is. It says that David is the fourth son of Jesse. His three brothers are actually at war with Saul. They are, they are with the Israelite army, and they are listening to Goliath make this challenge every single day. And there's his father, David's father, says, hey, I want you to take cheese, of all things, I want you to take cheese to the front lines of battle. I want you to take it to your brothers, but most importantly, what I want you to do is I want you to bring back a report of how your brothers are doing. And he's just a shepherd boy. He's, he's going back and forth, delivering things to the battle lines, and then coming back and taking care of the sheep. But on this day, he goes and he does what his father asks, and he takes his cheese to the battle lines, and he leaves it with the supply person. Because as he is getting there, he hears Goliath's challenge for the 40th time. For the 40th day in a row, Goliath makes his challenge, and David is there to hear it. And that's where we'll pick up. We'll pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26. It simply says, this, it says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. Now, it's really important that we understand this because David understood that Goliath's defiance wasn't just against him as an Israelite. It was against the God who had created him. It was against the God who had ordained him. David just didn't take it personally. He looked at the bigger picture and he scoffed that a man, a man would stand against the armies of the living God. He scoffed at that idea. You see, we should be people who scoff at an enemy that challenges our living God because the same God that was present for David is the same God that is present for you and I. And as the enemy, as Satan is trying to throw things at us, is trying to interject things into our lives, we need to understand that we serve a living God. You see, your sin can't stand against your God. The trials in your life that often feel like mountains don't stand a chance against your God who literally created the mountains. We should scoff at an enemy who challenges us because we are part of an army that serves a living God. You see, living God, a God that is active, a God that is present, a God that is interested. We serve and are loved by a living God, not a dead idea. So often we look at religion and we look at all these things that we do and they become habit. 
and we, we start to do things out of religious obligation instead of understanding that it wasn't just an idea that we kind of like from 2,000 years ago. We serve a God who's alive and active today, and he is working on our behalf. So we should be people who scoff at an enemy that challenges us because we serve a living God. The story goes on to say this in verses 31 through 37. It says, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by, seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will also rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. You see, as God was preparing David, God is preparing you. As God was preparing David, God is preparing you. Have confidence that where you have been will greatly serve where you are going. Have confidence that where you have been will greatly serve where you are going. David probably didn't love when he had to fend off bears and lions, but he, he prevailed through those things and it prepared him for this moment. Now he probably received scars and he, he received wounds from having to fight off the lion and the bear. It wasn't his, his favorite thing to do, I'm sure. But what he understood is that there was also lessons to be learned in that, that as he did what God had asked him to do, as he was who God was asking him to be, he learned lessons that would serve not only his benefit, but the benefit of others as he moved forward. I think it's really really important that we understand that. that so often we look through our lives and we look at the things that we've gone through and we say, well, I don't understand how God's going to use this for me. And sometimes he will use that for you, but oftentimes he won't use it for you. He'll use it for the benefit of someone else. About uh, a year ago, um, I got to sit down with a, a woman who was about 30 years older than me. And uh, I was pastor of the day, and and uh, we got to have a conversation, and, and she was super emotional, and, and um, she she got really vulnerable really quick, and it was an amazing experience. Uh, she told me her story, and, and included in her story was the fact that she had been sexually assaulted 25 years ago. And uh, no one had known that except her sister. It was, her, it was the only person that she had ever told before. And so me, 25 years after it happened, as a 30-year-old pastor, got to sit down and listen to her story and hear what happened. And, and she just felt convicted that, that she felt like she had to share it, that it was something that she was holding on internally, that it was tearing her up inside and that she didn't want to hold on to it alone anymore. And uh, she said a phrase There was something along the lines of, uh, I, I just don't think anybody could possibly understand what I've been through. I don't think anybody could feel the weight the embarrassment, the shame of what I feel. I can't even explain it. I can't even put into words. So how could someone else understand it? And uh, I obviously couldn't. But what I did remember is that before that conversation, months before that conversation, I had a conversation with someone else who that was similar. By the grace of God, what I was able to do was connect these two women. And, and they, they, were, they, they went to this group and uh, the group is focused on on this exact thing, that there was for women who had gone through sexual trauma, who had been through sexual assault and all, and all of these different things. And 
And a while later, after attending the group, she came up to me and she said, Evan, I, I never I never thought somebody could understand what I went through, but they do. They get it. They, they fully get it. They've been there. And now I have this community of people that when I feel certain ways, I have people to talk to, and it's just been this incredible thing. And uh, praise God for that, that she found healing and restoration, and, and that was amazing. But what was even more incredible is that a couple of weeks ago she came up to me and she said, Evan, somebody new joined the group was feeling the exact way that I felt, and I got to walk them through it. I got to use my personal experience to inject life into them because of what Jesus has done through the relationships in my life. Now, that that doesn't mean that she would have ever wanted to go through what she went through. Of course, that was a traumatizing, terrible thing. You never, ever ask to go through anything like that. But what she was willing to do was take the thing that she learned and use it for the benefit of someone else. We always need to be people who are learning, people who understand that where we're at right now or where we were will greatly serve where we're going and will greatly serve the people in our lives. Another thing that David understood was that it wasn't just about his preparation, it was also about his God. It wasn't just about how prepared he was for the battle. It was about the fact that the God that he served is always prepared. So the lesson for us is that we need to always prepare like crazy, but always pray like crazy too. That we would be people who pray like crazy, always offering up our situations to God. Our confidence doesn't have to rest in our own capacity. We have to do our part, and we will do our part. But we can be confident that he will do his part too. The story goes on to say this in verses 38 through 40. It says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. You see, God isn't asking you to be anybody else. David understood that he wouldn't be effective if he tried to be someone else. He knew that if he tried to go out and fit the expectations of the armies and, and put on a sword and put on armor, that that wouldn't probably lead to the best outcome. God wasn't asking him to be anybody else. He was asking him to be him. You see, we struggle with that too, don't we? We're creatures of comparison. We tend to pursue the expectations of others instead of being exactly who God has called us to be. David's life experience had taught him some very specific skills. He decided to use what he was an expert at instead of trying to fit a mold of what the situation would typically call for. You see, David ended up being an amazing warrior and a king, and, a king, and he learned how to use a sword masterfully. But in the moment, he knew how God had prepared him. He knew exactly how he would defeat this specific giant that was standing in his way, this specific trial, this specific circumstance. He said, this is the way that I've been prepared. This is the way that I've been used. I'm going to just use the things that I've been prepared in to deal with this situation today. So use what you're good at now to impact people. Use what you're good at now to deal with situations. And use what you're good at in the future to impact people in the future. And use what you're good at in the future to deal with situations in the future. We always need to be learning. We should always have a posture that I'm going to learn things. As David learned to use a sword, we can learn different skills in our lives, but we're not trying to be anybody else. I'm not trying to be you and you're not trying to be me. And God has prepared me to deal with situations in a very specific way for today. 
And the same goes for you. In verses 41 through 47, it says, this is, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistines' army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So the next point is this, is that your battle is the Lord's battle. Your battle is the Lord's battle. Wherever you're at today, whatever battle you're facing, he is facing it with you. And we tend to forget that. We tend to forget that the Lord who, who literally created the mountains, who hung the stars in the sky is the same God who's in the battles with us every single day. You see, we need to be individuals who hit the ground in thankfulness every single day that we serve a God that, that doesn't expect us to face our giants on our own, that he's a God who's willing to step into the battle with us. He's David knew, he understood that God was with him. And that's why he had so much confidence. He said, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you with, you, at you with the God that created this whole thing. I mean, what, what more confidence could you have than if you were so in tune with God that you knew with certainty that he was standing there with you? Another thing that David understood was that people will see God in how we face our battles. He says the phrase, the whole world will know today that there is a God in Israel. My prayer would be that a community of people that, that are involved with college age movement would face their battles in such a way that people would look at us, they would see the way that we face the trials and the tribulations of our lives, and they would say, wow, there's a God in Billings, Montana. There's a God at college age movement. There's a God who is in the midst of their battles. Look at how much confidence they have. Look how much love they have for people. Look at how much mercy they have for people. God must be in the midst of that. The whole world will know that there's a God in Billings, Montana. The last couple of verses we'll look at, verses 48 through 50. It says, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly. David ran quickly, remember that, toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. So the last point is this. Don't wait for the trial to come to you. Don't wait for the trial to come to you. David ran towards the opposition, quickly ran to the battle line right at which scared so many people, that we would be people who are on the offensive. We aren't waiting for the trials. We aren't waiting for the tribulations to come and get us off kilter. We're going to go and we're going to meet them right at the battle line and we're going to end them. We're going we're gonna to take them out. We're going to move through them because we are people who don't wait for problems to come to us. We are people who go solve problems with Jesus. 
So we would be people who don't wait for the trial to come to us. We don't wait for the circumstance to come to us. We go out. We're on the offensive. We are going, and we, we are creating incredible things. We are transforming things. Remember, we are going into uncomfortable situations, into uncomfortable circumstances and uncomfortable relationships and all of those things because we're transforming them with Jesus for Jesus, right? For the glory of God, we are stepping into those things. Now, I want to ask three questions to, to end this today. The first question being this, what challenges are you facing individually? What challenges are you facing individually? Secondly, what challenges are we facing collectively? As a culture, as a church, what challenges are we facing collectively? And third question is this, which one of those challenges are insurmountable with Christ? Which one of those challenges are insurmountable with Christ? The answer is none. There's not a single challenge that you're facing today by yourself. There's not a single challenge that we're facing today collectively as a community, as a country, that is insurmountable with Christ. So let's be people who go and pursue Jesus, understand that he's a part of every single one of our battles. He's there to fight with us. And that we would also be people who welcome the valley, that we would be people who go into the valley, we don't get comfortable, because maybe something amazing will happen down in that valley. We love you guys. We're so glad that you tuned in again to the College Age Movement podcast. If you do want to join us in person, we meet at 7 o'clock on Tuesday nights at Faith Chapel. We'd love to have you here. If not, keep listening to the podcast and let us know if you want to connect.